The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. Today on our show, we're focusing on the international work of child aid. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm talking to Nancy Press today, who's the CEO of Child Aid. Uh, and we are going to take a trip to Guatemala here. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. This is this is very exciting to be able to talk to folks in Portland about our work. Yeah, and so, but you're based in Portland, but your work is in Guatemala, correct? That is correct. I'm based in Portland partly because Portland is a wonderful place to live, um, and wonderful people live in it. But yes, we are we are based in Guatemala. Our work is in Guatemala. And so, and we're gonna. I think we're gonna spend a lot of the time just talking about Guatemala is not a place that. Uh, this show normally goes, so I want to learn a bit more about it, but you are providing literacy education uh, work in Guatemala, and, and, and Grant, we're going to talk about how you've expanded during, during COVID out of, out of necessity, and, 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 um, but that, that was the core of where the organization started, correct? Correct, correct. So Child Aid's work is really grounded in the knowledge that literacy and education have been shown to be some of the best pathways out of poverty for individuals and communities, you know, deep, deep rooted intergenerational poverty. And um, a good early education is linked to so many other life improvements from better health to overall lifetime income. But we also believe that most of all, it's rooted to a deep confidence that one's life can be different. And that's something that starts very young and has to really be nurtured. So Child Aid works in Guatemala, which is one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. Um, it's a place of enormous beauty. It's really easy to fall in love with Guatemala. Um, diversity and more than 7,000 years of constant habitation by, by humans, starting with the Mayans, um, that we, whose, whose descendants we, we actually work with. So it's a wonderful place, but it's been scarred by 33 years of civil war and has some of the worst malnutrition and income inequality in the world. So not surprisingly, given all that, the educational system is largely broken for the poorest and most vulnerable children. And Child Aid addresses this issue at its root cause, uh, which is inadequately trained teachers in woefully under-resourced classrooms. We I have so many questions here. Let's, let's start right. with um, uh, who's, who's fighting? in Guatemala, I mean, for the last 33 years, who's who's fighting because, and I imagine that this um, plays into your work in terms of how to deliver resources and also just stability of the schools. Well, when my husband, the, the 33 year civil war ended with peace accords um, in the late 1990s. So although we started working in Guatemala during the war, that, that war is over and they uh, there was a truth and reconciliation kind of process that went on in Guatemala. Um, 
and and that's great. People are not actively being killed by um, by soldiers anymore. Uh, innocent villages are no longer being decimated because they're thought to be harboring um, guerrillas. Um, but the situation for people's lives hasn't hasn't changed very much because the the power structure hasn't really changed and the economic power structure hasn't hasn't really changed and uh, and I don't I don't really know what other word to use but racism hasn't really changed being indigenous in Guatemala although it's forty percent of the population and as I said goes back seven thousand years um, are not the people who have the power they're not the people who get elected to, to government positions. Um, they're not the, the people with wealth who live in Guatemala City. So uh, many, of those, many of those conditions remain even though the, the fighting has stopped. And, and, and I wanna talk about that a little bit. I mean, uh, do different ethnic groups live in different geographic places in Guatemala? Because your work is primarily in three departments or what, 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 what we would call states. Um, and, and do I understand it correctly? Mostly you're working in Northern Guatemala? It's the uh, Western Highlands. Okay. So the area that, that's moving close to, to Mexico. We don't work in any of the departments that directly abut Mexico, but it's in, in that direction. And uh, these are communities at um, 5,000 to 8,000 feet in elevation. Um, it's some of the best coffee growing land, specialty coffee, uh, high-end coffee in, in the world. Um, climate change is threatening that. That's uh, another story. Um, there are 23 different languages in Guatemala that are, are spoken by indigenous groups. Many of them are, um, are mutually more or less intelligible. So they're, they're different, but it's not hard, sort of like, I don't know, Portuguese and Spanish or Spanish and Italian. You know, it's, there are other languages that are completely uh, different and not easily understood, you know, more like Finnish to Spanish or something like that. Uh, the three departments that we work in have three different languages that are the more uh, easy to understand. So um, we, yeah. And, and, uh, and you're working with uh, over 200 partner schools, is that correct? Uh, we, yes, we have, uh, our program took the shape that it has now about 10 years ago. And in that period of time, we've probably worked with about 250 schools, but we've ramped up pretty quickly. So in 2020, we were working with um, 100 schools, which is about 1,000 teachers, touching about uh, 24,000 students. And now let's, let's talk about that word working with, or those words working with. So you are providing books, but you're, and then you're providing training for the teachers. I mean, is that, is, I mean, I, I know that that's simplifying matters quite a bit, but in, in its most elemental. Yes, that, that, that is it. Um, school, primary school teachers in Guatemala only need to have what is the equivalent of a high school education. And they don't get a lot of in-class class practicum and classrooms, largely have no or very, very few books. So what teachers do is they replicate a really um, uh, non-working way of teaching, which is standing at a blackboard and writing things on the blackboard and having kids copy it down. And uh, 
that has led to a belief that memorization actually is the same as learning, which is not true, but it's been largely uh, necessitated by these, these lack of resources. So, um, so we provide books, but teachers don't necessarily know what to do with books. So we have a three-year program with um, eight in-person, before the pandemic, eight in-person workshops, followed by three in-classroom coaching sessions. Our curriculum is based on basic best practices. It aligns pretty well with what the Guatemalan Ministry of Education would like to see in classrooms, but doesn't really occur. And, um, and we, have, we have staff who work in the same school for three years. So they become coaches and allies and mentors to the entire school community. So we see entire school communities transform. Uh, we help set up lending library programs with, with the books that we use. And I think one of the most important things that's kind of hard to explain to an American audience is even with teachers are given books, and even if they're trained to help kids read books, they don't know how to use books in classrooms. They don't know how to use books in actual teaching. And even the government of Guatemala suggests if you have books, you should do a half hour re free reading in the morning. But that's not the point. If you're teaching a science class and you've got science books in your classroom, you know, you, you use those books. So we work with teachers to understand that uh, we work with them on classroom management, which is a huge problem. And, uh, and one that, that data supports is like really a prime driver of how much it gets accomplished in a school. So we work with, uh, with classroom management. We work to help teachers identify the stronger and weaker students and work with them individually. Just again, a lot of things that would be so normal in the US. I, I always wish that I could just teleport people down to Guatemala so that they could see what a classroom, a school there looks like. And it's how different it is from even the, the most underperforming school in the US. And I want to circle back before we take a music break here real fast. You, you, when, when introducing Guatemala, you said it's a, it's, a, it's a country that's easy to fall in love with. When did you fall in love with Guatemala and, 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 and how? How did, that, how did that happen? You were, because you were kicking around St. Lawrence and Duke and OHSU, and, but somehow you, you, you fell in love with Guatemala. Well, actually, uh, it was right after I got my, my doctorate that I, uh, and the, the story doesn't start in Guatemala, it actually just starts in Mexico. I went to a conference in Oaxaca, Mexico, uh, looking for a job. And my husband came down with me and, um, and he went on some of the spouse trips and he, uh, he, he went on a trip and he was just struck by the poverty. This is in su very Southern Mexico, which is quite similar to Guatemala. Um, we had had a, a dream for a while to start some sort of nonprofit in honor of my, my dad and that it would have something to do with education. So we thought about it and we kind of got the paperwork together to start the organization and then my husband decided that if we were gonna work in Central America, he probably should learn Spanish. So he went to Guatemala for six weeks to study Spanish. And he said to me, you have to come down here. You have to see this country. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I met all these people who want to help their own people and don't have the resources and don't know how. Um, so I did, I went down to Guatemala and uh, you know, I'm trained as an anthropologist. So I'm very aware of the dangers of thinking that you can understand other cultures easily. 
you know, I've been living in Guatemala, working in Guatemala, not living, working in Guatemala for 23 years. And I still know that I'm an outsider, but, but the more I spend time with people, the more I spend time with our extraordinary staff, it's like people who've just been, you know, it's like a lid's been, been put on them and you lift the lid off. We've seen that in the pandemic, the level of creativity and ability and desire is just so great, all embedded in this absolutely gorgeous place where, as I said, people connect to ancestors who lived there 7,000 years ago. It's just the more time I spend there, the more attached I get. Nancy Press is CEO of Child's Aid. Um, you brought in a couple songs. Let's start with one of your picks. Okay, uh, Gabby Moreno is a Guatemalan singer who's gotten some, uh, some notice in the rest of the world. She actually, uh, did a European tour with you, Laurie, the actor, and she has a song called Frontera, which Let's is take very... a listen. Hay un camino que nos trajo hasta aquí. No conoce las fronteras, esta pasión dentro de mí. Es anhelo el que me empuja cada nuevo amanecer con mis temores, ilusiones y los restos de ayer. Nos acompaña, con ella nada nos puede detener. Yo de tu mano, tú de la mía, no hay nada que Thank you. 
That was Gabby Moreno. This is Phil Bussey. We are on X-Ray FM, the nonprofit happy hour, talking to Nancy Press, who is CEO of Child's Aid, which uh, works primarily in Guatemala, um, providing support for elementary schools. But that's changed. That's That obviously changed. A lot of your work was, uh, as you were talking before, the music break was about providing training and support and supplies for elementary schools uh, to really help children there. And, and there's been tens of thousands of children's lives that you've, you've affected to help them reach their, their potentials. Um, pandemic shut that down or shut down a lot of the avenues for you. Um, the pandemic was, has for obviously the entire world, really, really a shock and, um, and, and my board, you know, said to me, how, what are you going to do? Is this organization going to survive? And the thing that's been amazing this year, that has amazed me as much as anyone else, is that actually um, what we've done is thrive. And um, part of it is that, uh, that we're a very hands-on organization. And I have not lost the belief that uh, that there's something that happens when a teacher and students or a teacher and a coach meet in person that's very different, difficult to replicate. And I've always been very cynical about the idea that innovation and technology are synonyms, you know, and the only way you can be innovative is by using technology. But we had to, we had to adjust during the pandemic. And so the first thing that we did was figure out how to do our workshops via Zoom. And um, what that what that led to was discovering that even with the losses of the in-person training, we discovered certain efficiencies by doing things virtually that I think you know we've probably all discovered throughout the world. Um, so our director of education was able to was forced to you know innovation as the daughter of necessity or, or whatever um, forced to take some of the uh, less functioning parts out of our workshops figured out how to do videos that showed some of the things we were going to teach ahead of time and distribute them to teachers, uh, ways to use um, uh, Zoom rooms you know, and, and meeting rooms to, to put people into breakout sessions actually more efficiently than if they had to get up and move their chairs in, in real time. So that, that has been working very well. Obviously, uh, there were costs involved in that. We had to make sure that our staff had really good laptops and really good connections. And we discovered that the teachers that we worked with almost all had smartphones, very, very different than a decade ago. But in Guatemala, when you have a smartphone, it doesn't mean that you have data. You have to buy the data on a sort of pay-as-you-go basis. And that was a cost that really was interfering with teachers being able to attend our workshops because they simply didn't have the data plan. Um, but we found a way to get data into the phones of teachers specifically for workshops and that also cost money, but that overcame that problem. And we wound up with 95% uh, attendance at our virtual workshops, which was you know, really wonderful. Teachers are still being paid. They have obligations to be doing teaching, but um, you know, they, they have very little way to do it. It's, it. It doesn't erase the problem that kids aren't in school. I mean, that's, that's an enormous issue. 
um, about which we have been able to do some things, but not everything we'd like to. One of the things that we did was we started radio programs. And radio, we discovered through some surveying and stuff, um, is the, the medium that reaches the most people. It has the greatest penetration. I don't need to sell you on the benefits of radio. <laughs> amen, <laughs> amen. Um, but in Guatemala, you know, few people, few in areas that we work, these very poor rural areas, very, very few, maybe 10% have an internet connection and not even a lot have television, but people get their news through the radio. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we just, we'd never done that before, but we started a call-in radio program uh, doing read-alouds for kids, doing some of it in the languages of the, that are spoken in those areas. So parents who weren't literate could be part of it. Um, and we did, we did some other things to try to connect teachers with, with their students. That's fantastic. And, and, and you've also, um, I mean, obviously Guatemala, as, as you first talked about, is one of the world's poorest countries. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, it's, it's so hard to think about what, I mean, it's for, for you to see, I'm sure what that exactly means on a day-to-day life. And that, and, and one of those is uh, the lack of money for food. Yeah. And, and that is something that during the, I, as I understand during the quarantine, you've also, the organization has started to pivot towards, so providing uh, food, food relief in boxes. Can you, can you paint a little bit of a picture of how that actually, how that's rolled out? Sure. So I, I mentioned before that we did a survey to try to find out what technology was available to students and teachers. And we just kind of threw in a question about food insecurity. What's it usually like? What's it like now? And the results that were so devastating that in the st- staff meeting where we looked at the survey results, we had to kind of take a break. And uh, it, we were, everyone was so upset. And, um, and I just decided with my country director and director of development during this 10 minute call, we have to do something about this. So. We took a deep breath and committed $150,000, which we did not have to, uh, and we had it in the bank, but you know, it was not in our budget to try to provide uh, food for families. We figured out which families in the communities we worked with had the greatest need. And, um, and we managed to, uh, to provide provisions for 10,000 individuals for more than six weeks. We did this by working with the United Way of Guatemala because they had access to bulk food that they packaged for us. We already had a distribution system because we distribute 30,000 books every year. So we worked with the schools where we work and distributed food. Uh, We have a volunteer whom I refer to as our chief medical officer. She's a Johns Hopkins trained physician who does not get any salary, but she helped the staff uh, teach the schools about the best COVID protocols, uh, made sure everyone had masks and gel and were standing outside and distanced from each other. And we did um, three distributions over um, a couple of months to try to deal with, with the problems. We heard about parents who were putting their kids to bed at 4.30 and five o'clock so that they would sleep through the dinner hour when they weren't gonna get fed. Um, parents feeding their kids, you know, a couple of handfuls of rice for the whole day. Uh, the economy tanked, tourism ended, inflation began. It was 
really a bad situation. Um, but I was very proud of us as an organization that we could do something we'd absolutely never done before and do it rapidly and efficiently. Nancy, our, our, our time is unfortunately winding down here and, and we've only really started to, we've only just superficially been able to talk about the work that you've done and, and, and the um, issues that, that people are facing in Guatemala, but I appreciate you taking the time and talking with us about it. If, if, if some, one of our listeners was inspired and, and they want, they said, hey, I, I would like to get, you know, some food yeah. down there or books or how, how do people support your work? So the thing to do is to go to our website, uh, which is child-aid.org. We're currently doing a campaign to help teachers stay connected. Uh, and we have all of our usual work. Our hunger work is still up there. Uh, we would, the best thing somebody can do is actually subscribe to get our, our emails, follow us on social media, on, on Facebook. And there are many, many ways to get, to get involved. Um, and just knowing more about child aid, talking about child aid to other people in Portland would all be wonderful. Nancy Press is CEO of Child Aid, and we're going to try to squeeze in just a little more music. We may not get the whole song here, but uh, why don't you cue up one more song for us? Okay, so the title of the song is Somos, S-O-M-O-S, and the artist is an indigenous Mayan woman. Her first name is Sarah, S-A-R-A. The second name I will spell for you, um, C-U-R-R-U-C-H-I-C-H. And the actually the in, the first part, the intro to that song is just uh, instrumental and it sounds very Mayan. Wonderful. Nancy, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.